Today's episode of the New York Football Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Giants tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. Hey everybody, October 15th, Tuesday morning, episode 16 of the New York Football Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan and uh, kind of a special episode here because the team played on Thursday and we already looked back on that Patriots game on Friday. We're going to go Duggan deep. Um, Lots of questions from you, so you're really going to be the the driving force behind this podcast as Dan will answer a lot of the questions he got on Twitter. A few notes to get to, though, before we get into that. First of all, Dan, the, the Giants lose Thursday night to the Patriots, and then you look at the division, and everybody else loses on Sunday, <laughs> and suddenly, uh, despite being 2-4, and four, this Giants team just one game out of first place. This division is crazy right now. Yeah, well, actually, no, Washington won. It felt like everyone who well, watched that, that game. That doesn't even matter, though. Yeah, everyone who watched that <laughs> game lost. But, yeah, to your point, the, the teams that are relevant. Um, yeah, I have a strict rule that I, I came up with last year. You're not allowed to scoreboard watch if you're under 500. So the fact that the division stinks as of right now, that's great. And um, the Giants, you know, at 2-4 and four are a game back, which is, which is pretty surprising. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to allow any scoreboard watching until they at least get to 500. Listen, they could get in at 500. They could get in at 7-9, one of those crazy years. But they need to kind of get their house in order. Uh, so don't the Eagles and the Cowboys, obviously. feels like the Eagles do this every year where they, they look great on paper. The season starts. They get decimated by injuries. They look terrible. And then in the second half, they put it back together. Cowboys, I don't know. You know, they certainly... Um, you know, feasted on an easy schedule early on, and, and now they've hit a rough patch, and it feels like deja vu for them also. It's, you know, Jason Garrett questions, and Jerry Jones getting impatient. Uh, Dak Prescott should have signed that extension after that Giants game, like, as we were talking back then. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the division, I came in thinking the, the Cowboys and the Eagles were kind of head and shoulders above the other two teams. Uh, you know, through six weeks, that, that doesn't appear to be the case. But as far as the Giants are concerned, you know, kind of get their house in order. They have a winnable game this week. Uh, so let's start getting closer to 500 before we start worrying too much. Uh, you know, because obviously one of those teams, uh, the Eagles or the Cowboys, is going to be four and three after they play on, on Sunday night. So um, Giants have to kind of do their part before we really start worrying about the the playoffs or, or standings. Yeah, I approve of that rule. Get to 500 <laughs> first, and then then we'll see where we go from there. All right, let's um just to update people on the injuries. Obviously, they were, the Giants were decimated on Thursday without Barkley and Ingram and Gallman and Shepard. Um, as we record this on Tuesday morning, where do those guys stand setting, heading into Sunday? Yeah, well, so they sort of got like a bonus practice on Monday because when they play on Sundays, they usually don't even practice on Monday. I mean, they might do a, like a light walkthrough. Uh, but since they had the extra time off with the the long weekend after the Thursday game, they're out on the field on Monday. But they don't have to put an injury report out until Wednesday. So Pat Trimmer got peppered with injury questions after the practice, and he couldn't have been more uncomfortable. He just didn't want to answer them, didn't want to get into specifics. And yet the questions just kept coming, which is going to happen when, you know, your three best offensive players are all, you know, in that group of, of injured players. And then you also have Wayne Gallman. So uh, the way I would take it, you know, Saquon's putting out the hype video that, you know, he's, he's looking to get, get back and, 
you know, everything we had heard of, you know, how close he was for the Patriots game. Uh, we, you know, as we said on this podcast many times, the wise move was to let him rest, get 10 extra days. So he's going to have those 10 days. I would be surprised if he's not back on Sunday, but I, you know, you can't lock it in just yet. You know, they, they still probably going to be cautious. Um, see how he responds to practice later this week. He still hasn't been, you know, a full participant in practice. They don't hit in practice, but um, if you're limited, you know, you're not getting the full full workload and, and maybe not as much team stuff where you're cutting hard and all that. So I think they need to see how he responds to all that. Uh, Evan Ingram said he's pretty optimistic he'll play on Sunday. You know, he's certainly a guy who has shown to be, you know, fairly fragile during his career. So, again, we'll, we'll see how the week progresses with him. He said this knee injury isn't as bad as the one he had last year, which I think knocked him up for three games. So he's another guy who here has had, you know, the extra time with the, with the Thursday game to recover. So I would think you're getting those two guys back, and that's obviously you know a huge boost. Uh, the offense you know really was devoid of playmakers against the Patriots, so that that'd be big. Gallman, Shepard, you know my same spiel with concussions, very tough to predict. They were both in non-contact jerseys though on Monday, which that's a step in the right direction because usually guys you know there's steps you have to take. You're not even out there the first day after it. The second day you might be just running off on the side with a train or riding an exercise bike. But if you're wearing the non-contact jersey, that means you're at least able to go through drills. Now, it's, you're not fully cleared. Obviously, you can't have contact. We, we saw the yellow jersey didn't do a heck of a lot for Shepard reading the broken thumb. Hopefully, they're a little stricter about that since that's a concussion. Um, but so with Gallman, especially, I would think he's definitely trending in the right direction because now he has you know six days to, to take the last couple of steps. Shepard, I was stunned that he was out there on Monday. Um, everything we've been told was he's going to be out for a while. And, you know, it made sense. Two concussions in four weeks really don't want to rush a guy back like that. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I, I would hope that he just feels good and they want to let him run around and, you know, keep his conditioning up, but they're not going to put him in a, you know, a physical contact setting for a while because this is the guy's life. It's the guy's future you're talking about. If he gets three concussions in like a six or seven week span, I mean, that, that could really, you know, have catastrophic outcomes for his, you know, his career and his future. So I think they're going to be smart there, but I was, I was shocked he was even out there on Monday. So it'd be interesting to see as the week progresses that he just kind of, plateau in this yellow non-contact jersey where like i said he can just keep his conditioning up um but listen they've been pretty aggressive with with recoveries from injuries clearly shepherds uh the handling of his concussions hasn't exactly been a clinic in, in how to deal with those so you would think they'll exercise some caution with him um but but again it, the fact that he was even out there was a big surprise to me yeah, of course, the fact that he, he re-entered both games that he had concussions in was a, was a bad look as well. So, yeah, you'd think they'd be cautious. I just wanted to touch on a great story you had out that came out over the weekend. Uh, John Jalapio um, getting ready for a Thursday night game. So, basically, just the process that these guys go through on a short week when instead of a full week, they basically have half that time to get ready. And you kind of went through it with John and day by day kind of how he planned his schedule, what he did when he got to bed the types of exercises he did. It was fascinating. Um, and I'm reading the entire article and thinking to myself, it is insane that the NFL has these guys do this. Uh, then you get to the end, and Jalapio actually says, you know what, the pros probably outweigh the cons. That surprised <laughs> me. I think he's in the minority there. But but was it kind of cool putting this story together, Dan, and getting to talk to him about this entire process and getting behind the scenes of what these guys go through? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think his point, um, this is his first time going through it. So he came out, you know, relatively unscathed. So I think he looked at it like, listen, I got a, a weekend off here to, to rest and recuperate. So that's why he had that feeling. I think if he goes through a few more of these or if his body was feeling a little worse, he might not uh, have quite as positive an outlook. But he certainly accounted for the negatives of it. And, you know, I've been on the beat. This is my fourth season. And every single year 
when the Thursday night com- game comes along, we all just ask the same boring questions and they give the same boring answers. They're like, oh, it's, yeah, of course it's tough. But I was like, well, there's got to be, you actually have to come up with steps to prepare. You can't just, oh, we got to work harder or, or do more stuff. I was like, well, what does that actually entail? So, uh, you know, I have a pretty good relationship with John and I asked him if he'd be, you know, open to just kind of documenting his days for me. And he did that. And the first thing is it tells you, you know, as much as we sit on our couches and say, oh, you know, this guy stinks and this guy doesn't care. This guy doesn't try hard. I mean, I would say 95% of the league is putting this stuff in. So it's not like he's doing anything, you know, unusual, but it just does speak to how much of a a commitment these guys have to make. It's not just, you know, they practice for two hours and then go home. Um, You know, they're, they're constantly working on their bodies, constantly, you know, having to do things to get themselves ready. And that's in a normal week when you have six days between games. So obviously when you cut that in half, uh, it just makes everything that much more difficult and challenging. And, you know, he had to rearrange his schedule. I think the most, the, the most telling quote he had in the entire piece was, you know, I asked him, when does his body usually feel better? And he said Saturday. So <laughs> that makes for a, a, a little bit of a complication when the game is on Thursday. So, um, you know, everything he did was geared towards that. I mean, he's, he's even just sort of some, some of the stuff is maybe like funny visuals because, you know, these guys at the facility have hot tubs and cold tubs that are state of the art and they can bounce from one to the other. But now, like, this is a 300 something pound guy who has to, you know, make his own ice tub. You know, he soaks in there for 20 minutes. Then he has to get out, take all the ice out of his tub, put in his Epsom salts, then have a warm bath. And, like, just even to me, that's just kind of comical to, to think that, like, it's just like any other Joe um, that he has to just, you know, make his own little uh, hot tub, cold tub situation because he couldn't he couldn't wait to, to start his recovery process because, again, the, the clock was, was running. So, yeah, I, just, I thought it was interesting because, again, we all write the same things about how tough it is. But you don't really know until you, you, know, you speak to somebody and he spoke about the mental part. Um, you know, it's not like meetings get thrown out. They don't, like, not prepare for third down in red zone. It's just you got you to gotta just cram it in more. I mean, he said he usually doesn't watch film until Tuesday, but he had to start on Monday. There's little things like that where – um, you know, everything is just accelerated, but the only upside is when you come out on the other end, you do have, you know, they they come in on Friday, but then Saturday and Sunday, just totally off. You saw a lot of guys go back to their colleges. He's, his plan on Saturday was to just lay in bed all day, which that sounded great. No matter if you played a football game or not, that's a pretty good Saturday. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just interesting to, to get that insight. And, you know, he was really, you know, helpful and forthcoming with kind of everything he went through to get ready for that game. Yeah, another great reason to subscribe to The Athletic. Good stories like that from Dan and, of course, all of our writers. So this is a free episode of the podcast, but um, definitely one more reason uh, to get all of our podcasts here to subscribe to. All right, um, you mentioned guys going back home. Daniel Jones was uh, a bit on social media going back to Duke, uh, being in the locker room with those guys. That was good to see as well. All right, uh, this is a dug in deep episode. It took us a while to get there, but let's dive into the questions here, Dan. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right, let's start with uh, Bobby Blue. This is the question, and, and the, the listeners did not hold back. Uh, this is from Bobby Blue. At what point do Gettleman and Mara realize that Shermer's who we thought he was, not a good head coach? <laughs> what are the odds they move in another direction within the next year or two, and how much of a problem is this for the future of the organization? Yeah, and, and we got a couple of questions. It's funny, like coming into the season, you know, I think Sharma was second behind Jay Gruden as far as the gambling odds for being on the hot seat. And then, you know, Jones came in there and, and sort of turned everything around for a couple of weeks. And, you know, he was, you know, Sharma was kind of on top of the world. And now how quickly the worm can turn back the other way. And, and I sort of, you know, I, I was, I fueled this, but I sort of was thinking out loud on the podcast last week too, where it's just like, I, I don't think that Pat Shermer is ever going to like host a, hoist a Lombardi trophy 
you know, with the Giants. So not that that can be the end all be all in every single decision you make. And I definitely think he'll get 2020. I, unless the team just really, you know, capsizes and there's all sorts of locker room turmoil or they, you know, they finish two and 14, something crazy. I think they're going to give him another year. I mean, he was all on board with the Daniel Jones pick. You don't want to be screwing with Jones too much uh, if he has a good thing going with Shermer. But I, I just don't know if he's the guy to get him over the hump. So to, to you know, to Bobby Blue's question here, it's like, when, you're probably going to have to make that change. So is it better to do it soon, sooner than later? Because we've seen Gettleman is not hesitant to pull the trigger. If he brings a free agent in here and, and it's not working out, boom, you're out the door. I think he'll show a little more patience with the coach. I mean, this is the guy he hired. Uh, obviously, ownership is behind Shermer. So I, I think they're going to give him time. They don't want to be an organization who's you know changing coaches every couple of years. And Shermer's done fine. He just doesn't seem to have that little extra something that, that tells you, like, this is a guy who has a, a really high upside, and he's really going to take this team to the next level. And now maybe they don't need that guy right now because they're rebuilding, and they're all about the culture, and it seems like the culture is is, is definitely in a, in a good place. And, and and you know, he gets them maybe to the, the 500 or you know, knocking on the playoff door, and then you bring in, you know, some young hotshot or some some retread who, who becomes available, whatever it may be, and, and that's the guy who gets more help. I don't know. Uh, but I definitely – I just have this nagging feeling that, that like, he's not the guy – to get him over the hump. So it just becomes a question of, you know, when do you, you make that move? I mean, I, I, what I want to see them do, especially in the, you know, the second half of the season here, is like beat a team you're not supposed to beat. Like, granted, we, we know they were shorthanded against the Patriots. We know the roster is not in great shape. But they just, they don't, you know, they haven't beat anybody. Like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't see that one coming. You know, we're, we're kind of celebrating that they kept it close for three and a half quarters against the Patriots. But like, let's see them win a game because of his schemes. Because because he comes out and the offense just lights it up because he just drew up an unbelievable game plan. Like, I think his his stuff is solid, but he just, like I said, doesn't seem to have that next year where he comes out and the other team is scrambling because, you know, Pat Shermer just brilliantly devised his game plan. It seems a little safe, and, and that's where I just have questions if he's the guy to take him to the next level. Maybe he's the guy that gets them to the position where this is a really good-looking job for somebody else, you know, like all the exactly. talents in place, and you bring in the guy that you want to, to come to New York and do that. We'll have to see. Uh, all right, next one's up from Christopher Ruggiero. Another Shermer question. He says, I've noticed that Shermer seems to hug players who return to the sideline after big plays. Have you ever seen anything like it? Does it speak to his relationship with players? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, now that he mentions it, you know, he, he is definitely – uh, you know, a big hugger after a big play, and it, it doesn't really jive with his personality otherwise, where he's pretty stoic. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I don't think it's uncommon. I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to picture, I can picture Bill Belichick, you know, once in a while will get excited and, you know, grab a guy around the helmet. But it, obviously, you know, Belichick isn't doing that every play either. Uh, I think it does speak to, though, Sherman does seem to have a pretty good bond with his players. And I think that's been like a very concerted effort. And, and maybe, you know, he talked a lot about what he learned in Cleveland, but never has disclosed what those things were. I wonder if that's part of it. Maybe he felt like he didn't connect with the players because uh, from day one when he came in here, he made an effort to have relationships with guys. He was calling guys. He even went out to L.A. to, to visit with Odell last offseason. They were talking about how he eats lunch with the players uh, you know, during the offseason where you know, McAdoo never did that. I don't think Coughlin did that. I mean, he, he doesn't feel kind of excluded uh, from the players, which is that McAdoo was totally like that. He was very distant. I think he just kind of felt like you know the coach's coach. The players run the locker room. And that's sort of why I think things got out of hand because he didn't have his finger on the pulse there as much. Uh, I think Shermer has, you know, has done a better job of that. And, and that goes to, again, the, the culture point I mentioned and it's such an emphasis with this team. I think Shermer has a pretty good grasp on that. You know, we've talked about how the guys do play for him, 
Um, I think that's a little overrated because you're in the NFL, you're getting paid like $5 million a year, like trying hard, shouldn't be like this big, you know, this big feather in the cap of the coach. But we've certainly seen teams that, you know, when things go south, guys pack it in and, and you didn't see that last year. And, you know, they certainly played hard Thursday night in a game where uh, things were definitely stacked against them. But yeah, I think I think he is a pretty uh, emotional guy. It's funny because he is so stoic during the week, but he loses his mind during games. I mean, every call, it's like he's, you know, ripping off the headset and like throwing challenge flags out of spite. <laughs> so I think he needs to rein some of that in a little bit. But definitely he does get excited and, and isn't uh, shy about showing his players some love. All right, up next is Steve Rudemeyer. He says, is it likely the entire starting offense returns next year? Look at the names, contracts, performance. It seems like the same exact group of 11 could be together for at least two more years. That's a really interesting question and one I hadn't really given any thought of, especially with the amount of turnover that's taken place. But if you just look contract-wise, I believe the only starter who's not signed for next year is Mike Remmers. Um, you know, Jalapio will be a restricted free agent, so it'll be easy enough to keep him if they want. But I think we've, we've learned enough in the NFL, it's very rare that you're going to bring back all 11. So, I mean, I think you go kind of around the, the positions, you know, obviously Jones, Barkley, Shepard, Slayton, Tate, assuming, you know, things don't go really haywire and they try to get out of that deal. Um, Solder, as much as people probably want to move on from him, you know, his, his cap situation makes it untenable. He'll be back. Maybe he moves to right tackle if they, you know, draft a stud left tackle or something like that, but he'll be back. Clearly Hernandez is a part of the future. Zeitler is a part of the future. So I think the three spots you maybe, and I, think, I don't think I mentioned Engram, you know, I think Engram will certainly be back unless they, you know, want to make a trade there, but I, I think he's a big part of the future too. Uh, so I think you look at the spots that, you know, certainly could change is center and right tackle. And maybe Red Ellison. Red Ellison would probably be more of a cap situation, but they really do like him, and, and maybe they just want to you know stick with a, a known commodity there. It's not like he's killing the cap with his contract; it just doesn't probably you know measure up to what he's getting paid. But th- that offensive line, as much as there was so much made of the rebuild, you know, Remmers was a stopgap, and he, you know he hasn't impressed me. I would, I would really think they need to find an upgrade there, and they need to find a young upgrade because for all of the, the rebuilding of the offensive line, everyone they brought in, aside for Hernandez, is older. So, you know, these aren't guys that Jones is going to grow with, like, you know, Chris Sneeze and, and Sean O'Harris and those guys, gonna, you know, long run with. Uh, a lot of these guys are going to be cycling out at the time when Jones is really starting to hit his prime. So they need to invest in the offensive line. I've been really surprised for all of Gettleman's hog molly talk that Hernandez as a second rounder is the only really premium asset uh, in the draft he's used on offensive linemen. Great that he's traded for Zeitler and made the big payday for Solder, but Again, those are older guys who are, are sort of short-termers or, you know, you know, maybe Zeitler can have a couple good years. Um, but they need to invest in the offensive lines. So I don't think you're going to bring Remmers back. I think they need to draft a tackle in the first or second round, a guy you can plug in. And Jalapio probably is best suited to be a, a swing guy, a backup, and try and upgrade the center position. But to, to the point of the question, this offense should look pretty similar, and I think that's definitely, you know, beneficial to Jones and even probably speaks to the Shermer questions. A little continuity probably can go a long way as far as making that jump from year one to year two. Yeah, bring a good chunk back, and then the the changes that you do make, you make sure they're upgrades, and that's how you get better as a team. All right, this next one, Dan, you got to be be very careful here. This one from (laughs) Kurt1124. He says, going forward, if you were given the choice between Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold, who are you taking? Well, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to just totally cop out and say it's too early to tell. I mean, it would be crazy uh. for me. Yeah, I have to. It would be, <laughs> be crazy for me to pick one of these guys. I mean, you know, obviously Jones is four starts into his career. I, you know, I don't know, Darnold, I don't know if he's even started 16 games yet with the time he's missed. So uh, it's it's way too early. Now, I will say I was 
firmly in the quarterback train last year at, at number two. And now, granted, I was really driving the Rosen train, so let's hopefully history forgets that and I can just like pivot it to Darnold. But I also think Rosen has had like probably the, arguably the two worst situations a young quarterback can, can step into. So I don't think we'll know what he is until he gets to another team, you know, next year. And they'll probably have to wait a while to get another starting job. But he's a guy like in year five, maybe he'll become a starter and, and actually live up to what I thought he was. But as far as Darnold, who I think was more the consensus guy that people thought was like, if you didn't take Saquon, you're going to go quarterback. Donald would have been the guy. I mean, he looks, you know, like a franchise quarterback. Uh, obviously, he had his rough patches in the beginning of his career. But then after that injury last year, he came back. And the last couple of games last season, he looked really good. You know, looked great uh, against Dallas. So nothing there would, would really shake me from my belief that that was the right way to use that pick on a quarterback. And again, like if history allowed me to shift it to Donald. But as I've said on the podcast, they, they sort of might have, you know, backed into things um, where they didn't think they were going to have, you know, a premium pick this year. I think they thought they are going to be competitive in 2018. And I don't know how they would have gone about getting a franchise quarterback if that was the case. But since they went 5-11, and you know, they had another top pick and they were able to get Jones. And it's funny to me that some fans seem to be, you know, quick to kind of jump off the Jones bandwagon after a couple of rough starts against great defenses without his best playmakers. I mean, what did people expect? I mean, I know he's throwing a couple picks, but that that's par for the course for any rookie quarterback. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the arrow still pointing up, still a ton to be determined. I think the next, you know, handful of games will we'll probably tell a lot about what Jones and, and where he's at uh, with his progress. But I'll, I'll just have to totally kind of sidestep this one. Because look at Baker Mayfield. Everyone thought he was a surefire star, and, and he was as a rookie. And then, you know, some changes on that offense. The offensive line's gotten weak. Suddenly he looks jittery. You know, obviously the new head coach. And now all of a sudden, is Baker, you know, would you rather Baker than these guys? If you asked that question six months ago, everyone would say Baker. And, and now it's, it's, uh, it's he's come back to the field. So I, I think this is going to be a fun debate we're going to have for the next, you know, probably 10, 15 years. And uh, it's too early to say right now, but it'll definitely be one that will be, uh, will be coming up again in a couple of weeks when they play each other. And like I said, one that'll just, you know, continue on for years and years. It's such a, a unique and cool situation um, that you don't see in sports um, just to have, you know, two teams in the same city drafting what they hope are franchise quarterbacks one year apart. And they're going to grow up together and, and battle for the back pages for, like you said, hopefully for 10 to 15 years. Definitely a cool thing to, to keep an eye on. And I don't think you completely sides sidestep that. You gave an answer. That was good. All right, moving on. Next is uh, Lowly Rando says, what defense shows up versus Arizona, the one that hung with Pats for three quarters or the one that's been shredded every other weekend except against hapless Washington? Yeah, well, I found that, that funny. I think it was after the Minnesota game when, when Shermer said, like, you know, we need to get back to the way we played a week ago or reference to the Redskins game. It's like, well, you're not going to have too many games like the Redskins on the schedule, <laughs> so you need to, you know, pick your level up. It's not going to always be that easy. Uh, but definitely took some steps forward, you know, as we talked uh, on Friday about that Patriots game. Defense kept him in the game, made plays seeing something from the pass rush. So, yeah, it's it's like I said with Jones, and it's going to be hold true for the entire team. This next four-game stretch is going to tell a lot. I mean, with Jones, it's it's only going to just, you know, give a little bit more of a feel for him. He's got a long way to go. But for the defense, do they build on that Patriots game? I mean, they have very, you know, I wouldn't say they're all winnable games, but they should be competitive in these next four games. You know, home against Arizona, at Detroit, you know, looked pretty good until things kind of went haywire at the end there. Uh, in Green Bay on Monday night. Home against Dallas, who's reeling, and then at the Jets. I mean, that's four games that they shouldn't be getting blown out in any of those games. Uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a big test to go, you know, play Dallas at home and show that you have improved. Um, so I, I think that you know 
I don't know what to expect. That's that's sort of how this defense has gone this year. It hasn't been very good, but then when you thought that they were totally, you know, all was lost, they, they stepped up and had their best game against the Patriots. Now, uh, are they good enough to carry that over and be consistent? Uh, that's what we're going to find out. But I, I'm really looking forward to this next four games because, I, again, I just looked at Minnesota and, and New England. So they're not winning these games. Uh, they're overmatched. Turned out to be the case. So now we find out kind of what this team is made of. It's a, you know it's a big stretch here. You're two and four. We're talking we're talking playoffs. Um, so it'll it'll really say a lot to see how they come out of these next four games going into the bye. Yeah, and the battle of the two rookie quarterbacks this weekend. Lots of stuff to look forward to. All right, next up is uh, BJ. He's at a wiggy zero zero zero. He says, "Do you think trading Janoris to a team like the Chiefs for a fourth round pick is realistic? What do you think of James Bradbury as a free agent pickup? He would be a tremendous fit. Also, a Gettleman draft pick. He's playing amazing right now in Carolina. So, two parter there." You know, I think Wiggy is, is probably on to something if you're looking for potential trade partners for Jenkins. Um, you know, Kansas City sticks out like a fit. I mean, you have Steve Spagnuolo there. He loves Jenkins from their time together in New York and even back in with the Rams, I believe they might have been together. Um, and Kansas City's defense is is certainly a question mark, so they, they could use some talent there. So that's definitely a spot that if, you know, Jenkins is on the block, I think, you know, would make a lot of sense. I don't know about a fourth round pick because uh, you got to keep in mind age and contract. I think you're probably looking at a fifth and, you know, that's what they got for, for snacks last year. And, and Jenkins sort of fits in that same category, you know, may, you know, maybe you can get a fourth, but I'm thinking probably more like a fifth. Um, and, and it'd be interesting to see, you know, where the giants stand on that. Cause the trade deadline is after these next two games. So again, we're two and four, you got Arizona and Detroit. If they're four and four, I don't think you can be a seller at that point. You know, as much as, you know, I think you should be looking at the future. I think it wouldn't send a great message to, to send your top corner away for a you know late round draft pick. If they're two and six, I think it's probably an easy call because you're saying, well, listen, you know, we're probably going to move on from Jenkins after the season. Let the kids play because they obviously have some young corners waiting in the wings. So I think that will uh, dictate, you know, a lot of their decisions there. So these next two games um, will we'll probably either pave the way to, to send him out of town or they, they might say, hey, listen, we can make a run and, and let's keep him because, you know, he's been up and down, but he's still your most dependable cornerback because there's just so much youth there. But it is interesting because you have Corey Ballantyne, who, you know, I think everyone was really excited about you know, how he looked in training camp and the preseason. And he got on the field for one snap on Thursday, which is, you know, one more than he had played all season on defense. So at least a step in the right direction that he's at least in the mix. Uh, and then Sam Beal, is due back to practice this week he can't play uh, until week nine assuming everything goes according to plan so that would be after the trade deadline so you really can't rely on him but you at least know you have some young options there that if they were to pull the trigger on, the trigger on a jenkins trade you'd probably take some lumps but you know they're all about this youth movement and again in a rebuild you really rather play those types of guys so if, they, if they're sitting there two and six i think it's a no-brainer to to move on from jenkins but i think it's gonna be really interesting um to see how they do you know handle the trade deadline because clearly they were aggressive in, in shipping guys off last year. <clears throat> and so the second part of the question about Bradbury, yeah, I mean, he makes a ton of sense. You know, of course, he's a, a Gettleman draft pick. We know that, you know, Gettleman has had an affinity for guys that he has a, a connection with. I, I have a hard time to, because to his point, Bradbury is playing well. I have a hard time seeing Carolina letting him leave. You don't really want to let young players at premium positions walk. Now, I know he'll be a free agent, but there's always the franchise tag. And, and I would just think that they're going to, you know, sort of do everything in their power to, to lock him up because he is a you know quality young corner and and the Giants you know they've invested heavily in corner in these last couple of drafts so you, you sort of want to see uh, you know your guys develop but at the same time I mean listen if a young premier corner becomes available they're gonna have cap space uh, that's certainly not a, a bad way to spend it 
But they do need to really invest in, like I said, the offensive line, whether that's the draft, free agency, probably both. Uh, edge rusher is still, even though they've you know gotten some some promising play there, it's still going to be an issue uh, going forward. You know, Marcus Golden who's had a great year. He's going to be a free agent, so if you want to bring him back, it ain't going to be for three and a half million dollars uh, if he keeps this up. So, uh, you know, maybe Bradbury isn't at the top of their wish list, but definitely a guy if he becomes available that they should be uh, interested in. But like I said, I, just, I don't. If I'm Carolina, there's no way I'm letting him get away. All right. Speaking of young corners on this roster, uh, that brings us to the next questions from Stephen D. He says, "Have you noticed any improvements in DeAndre Baker's performance since those first two games?" Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing you're you're noticing is that you're not noticing it as much, which is, you know, that's a good thing for uh, officials and offensive linemen and cornerbacks. If you're not talking about you after the game, that usually means things went well. And I really haven't had a chance to, to focus in on him on the all 22 to see if, you know, maybe he's getting away with stuff and, and he's still getting beat. But, you know, NFL quarterbacks tend to find those guys. So I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he has been better in coverage. I mean, I think his tackling has been not improved. It's probably gotten a little bit worse and, and something that's a little bit of a concern. But listen, the primary duty there for him is coverage. And we're not seeing the big plays. We're not seeing the coverage bust. So, I mean, definitely has made a step in the right direction. Um, you know, it's it goes back to why, you know, you don't throw in the towel on guys and they, they have a rough start. They're rookies. They're, they're going to have growing pains. They're going to have ups and downs. I'm sure, we're not, I'm sure we haven't seen the last rough game for DeAndre Baker this season. But definitely has quieted down, and that's another encouraging sign. Um, you know, like the Patriots game, I didn't you know see him stick out for any bad reasons. So he's quietly kind of strung together some solid performances. I'm sure there's a lot he can still improve on. But just when you think about where he was those first two games, uh, he's definitely you know taking major strides. Yeah, he's come a long way. All right, next one, and this is kind of a series of questions. Let's talk Giants uh, took advantage fully of this uh, platform <laughs> and has given you. So I'm going to list all of these, and you can go through them one at a time. Uh, expectation for Sam Beal's return. You mentioned him. What does the team do about Grant Haley? Do you think there will be a trade market for Jenkins? Will Gallman return this week? Is there even a remote possibility that the team looks for a new head coach at the end of the season? Now, I can uh, refresh your memory as we go through these, but start with Beal, I guess. <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, I hope Let's Talk Giants is a subscriber because they're getting their money's worth on uh, <laughs> this dug in deep here. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hit on these sort of rapid fire because a lot of them I've already touched on anyways. But yeah, so with Sam Beal, he didn't practice on Monday, which kind of raised alarm bells. But uh, Shermer said he'll, he'll practice on Wednesday, you know, be with the team. And that starts a 21-day window where they have a decision to activate him or not. They can just leave him on IR after that 21 days. But, um, you know, it's, it's important for him to just get back on the practice field, taking reps. He, As I said earlier, he can't play, though, until week nine. So the next two weeks, all he can do is practice. Um, but, again, he's so far behind. This is a kid who's been in the NFL for, you know, almost two years now and still has not, like, tackled anybody because he's gotten hurt in practices. So um, really sort of an unknown they certainly like, you know, his physical attributes and stuff, but, you know, very, very much an unknown. So it'll be important for him to, to make the most of these two weeks, show them something. I mean, again, I think as a, as a rebuilding team, they have to find a way to get him on the field just to see what you have uh, going forward. You certainly hope he can stay healthy because the injuries have been a major concern. So let's hope that there's not another setback because, um, you know, he's probably running out of uh, sort of mulligans there because the patients sort of run run short with guys who are constantly injured. But um, the next two weeks will tell a lot as far as his practices. And then you think the second half of the year, 
they would bring him along slowly because he's, he's certainly going to be pretty far behind uh, from a football standpoint, but at least a guy they can you know hopefully get a look at in the second half of the season. Uh, with, with Grant Haley, I mean, I think they need to to search for an upgrade there. Um, he's he's like a nice player. He, he's small, so he, like it, it almost looked better because he's, he's gritty and all this stuff, and I thought he had a good camp, but he's been exposed in coverage. I mean, he's actually probably the, the one of the better tacklers, at least out of the cornerbacks, probably the best tackler of the corners. Um, so he's not a total liability out there, but just just coverage-wise, there has to be uh, you know an upgrade there. Especially so many teams put their top receivers in the slot, so you can't get away with a guy who's a liability there. So I, I think that that's a spot they certainly need to upgrade in the offseason, But I would like to see you know them give Julian Love a look there. Now, granted, Love didn't look great in the summer, um, but again, I don't think Haley's a long-term answer. So why not give uh, you know the rookie Love just a look? Um, see how he responds. And I know a lot of people probably look at guys like Beal and Valentine and say, you know, why don't they put them in there? Cause you know, get them on the field, but I don't think their skill sets project to the slot. So I, I don't think you'll see the, one of those guys in there. So I think it's really going to be Haley. And if they do make a change, it'd be love, but again, long-term that's a spot that they need to try to upgrade, um, rather than just trying to patch it together with, you know, a young kind of cheap guy. Uh, what else was there? There was the Jenkins trade market. Like I said, I think you're looking at a day three pick there. I don't think there's going to be, you know, a big market for him. Gallman, again, you know, tough with concussions, but the fact that he's already in the yellow non-contact jersey on Monday, you know, leads me to believe, uh, based on just previous guys who have been in the same situation, that's usually a good sign. It means there's only a couple of steps left. So I think by Sunday he's back, which, um, you know, the running back situation will really have made quite a, uh, a dramatic improvement from last Thursday to, to where they'll be against the Cardinals. And, and then, uh, you know, of course, we've talked about the Shermer stuff. I, I wouldn't say, you know, it, it's completely impossible. I, you know, yes, if there's a remote uh, possibility, I mean, it's certainly possible. I just think it's unlikely that they're, they're going to be in the market for a new coach after this year. I would assume that, you know, Shermer gets them to six and 10, seven and nine. They're respectable. And they say, all right, let's give him another year with Jones. We're going to have, you know, a lot of money to spend. We're going to be able to upgrade this roster. And then let's see what he does with sort of a full complement. And then, you know, 2020 will be the make or break year in terms of his future. All right. That brings us to our last question. It's from Dr. Drake Ramore. So obviously a friend, a, uh, a fan of friends. Uh, I think this may also be a plant, Dan. Um, I don't <laughs> know which of your friends put this one in. But uh, Dr. Drake says, Dan, why are you the greatest of all time? That's my question. He said goat, but I'll say greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, I saw this question and I included it in the run. I have, I don't have any response. I just wanted to just recognize <laughs> it because I appreciate, appreciate it. You get, you get enough responses on social media that, that make you question yourself. So, hey, if, if you want to send those along, we'll, we'll make sure to include them. Yeah, there's all the negativity of Twitter. So a little positive here and there certainly uh, definitely isn't going to hurt anybody. All right, great yeah. questions from uh, from the listeners out there. Particularly great. Um, great question. <laughs> and and all the others and certainly it, it just kind of gives you an idea of where Giants fans brains are right now which I think overall is is kind of a good spot you listen look at those questions and it's it's questions Dan that talk about a team that they they know there's hope for with the quarterback and and where the situation is now but there's also a look to the future and is this is this franchise heading in the right direction and fans want to make sure that it is and and I guess that's for a rebuilding team, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the tenor of everything has changed with Jones because I just, I just can't imagine if we were sitting here, at, you know, the two and four record, and Eli Manning still starting a quarterback. You would just have the Groundhog Day, and like, you know, where are they going? At least with Jones, you know, you know that 
they're starting to look to the future. He's shown enough that gives you some some confidence about the future. And, and now it's all about you know his development and filling in the pieces around him. But it, it just definitely has changed the dynamic a little bit. So uh, add a little kind of enthusiasm to the fan base and, and something that was really desperately needed because I just kind of felt like year after year, like I said, it was Groundhog Day. You just knew that they weren't really heading in the right direction. They were just spinning their wheels at best. And now there's hope, there's optimism, um, there's skepticism because you say, well, if Shermer's not the right guy, let's get him out of here. But it, at least it has changed the conversation and sort of opened the doors to new questions. And, and it'll be really fascinating to see um, you know, how they're answered over the next couple of weeks, couple of months and going forward. And a lot of them could be answered certainly coming up next Sunday with a big game against Arizona. Arizona coming in two, three, and one. The Giants two and four. So this feels like one of those games that um, it's going to be about a pick 'em as far as the spread goes. The Giants a slight advantage right now in in uh, as far as the betting goes, but um, it's going to be telling because it's a game that the Giants can go in there thinking, okay, if we play well, we will win this game. And we're going to have a full preview of that game coming up later in the week. That'll be our bonus. Um, podcast only available on the athletics so make sure you subscribe um, and if you uh, don't already follow twitter you can get more questions into dan follow him on twitter d 21 and of course hashtag dug deep always open not just when we uh, uh, put in the request but you can always get in your questions with that hashtag and when you're getting ready for the game on Sunday, if you're getting your fantasy team ready as well, we can help you out with that on The Athletic as well. Check out the podcast, The Ranking Show, with Jake Seeley, Brandon Funston, and Michael Beller. They'll help you get your fantasy lineup set each week, every week. So be sure to download the latest episode of The Ranking Show right here on The Athletic. And as I said, we'll be back with a full recap or a full preview of that game coming up later this week. Thanks for tuning in to this special Dug and Deep episode of the New York Football Podcast.